about what might be one of the hardest things that you're ever going to face in life. And you're not going to like it when it comes. More than likely, you're going to grow tired of it very, very quickly. Uh, It's something that can frustrate you and perplex you and even make you cry. You may have already experienced it at least once or maybe many times. But if not, you will. You say, well, preacher, what in the world are you talking about? I'm talking about waiting on God. Waiting on God. We're in a hurry, but God is not. He acts according to His calendar and His clock, not ours. He's never early. He's never late. He's always perfectly on time. Uh, but the truth of the matter is it does not seem that way to us. It seems that God is late a lot. It seems like that to us. In fact, sometimes it seems He's not only late, it seems like that He's forgotten about us altogether. And we wonder, does He even remember that we're here and we're waiting? Waiting on God can be one of the hardest things that we ever face in life. It seems like we hurry up and wait. I believe G. Campbell Morgan was right when he said these words, it is much easier to work for God than it is to wait for God. Much easier to work than to wait. We don't like to wait. I mean, we struggle with Amazon's two-day prime shipping. 
uh, we want to click that button and order whatever it is and have a drone fly to our house and deliver it within the next 30 minutes. Of course, out in the country, that's not going to happen. If they did send their drone, it'd probably get shot down. But the truth of the matter is, we don't like to wait. We want things fast. We want fast food and fast delivery and fast everything. And, you know, that's one of the things the pandemic has done. It's slowed us down. You notice how long it takes to do something. You go to the store, it takes longer. You go to pick up food, it takes longer. Everything seems to take longer because we're in a hurry and we want things fast. And so why does God make us wait? Because a lot of times the things we're waiting on are, are very uh, tender things, very dear things, very important things, sometimes life and death things. Why does God make us wait? Is He just being cruel? Is He just toying with us? Is He just having fun in our expense? Well, certainly not away with such a thought. Um, God is a good God. God is a gracious God. God is a generous God. God is always good. He's always perfect. His plan is the very best plan we could ever imagine. It's what we would want if we were smart enough to want what it is that God has for us. So then the question is, why does God make us wait? Why does He make us wait? I mean, He's not limited in any way as far as His resources, His power, His control. So the truth of the matter is, He created the whole world in, in six days. And so why does He make us wait? so long when he has the power and the ability and the resources to meet whatever the need is in our life. Why doesn't he go ahead and do that? Well, I want to explore that with you today. And I only bring this up because we're still studying uh, here David and what's going on in his life in Psalm 27. In fact, God willing, we're going to finish up that study today here of Psalm 27. And I hope that you've spent some time in this psalm. I hope that God has been using it in your life. Uh, but today we come to the last two verses. And if you remember, we believe that David wrote this psalm while he's on the run from King Saul. Saul wants him gone. Saul wants him dead. Uh, Saul wants to do away with David. David hasn't done anything wrong. In fact, he's done everything right, it seems like. Uh, but Saul wants rid of him. And he's on the run, we believe, from Saul. And he finds himself here and he's kind of praising the Lord and struggling and, and praying. And uh, it's not an easy place to be. He might be in a cave somewhere just kind of looking over his shoulder, wondering, is this going to be the day uh, that Saul shows up? And, and in the closing part of this psalm, Psalm 27, and I'm not going to read it all today. I'm just going to focus on those last two verses, verses 13 and 14. Here's what David says, and I want you to listen carefully to what he says. I would have lost heart. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now, if you've ever wondered, was David human like we are? And of course, there are other episodes we could point to in his life to talk about that. But in this particular passage in Psalm 27, as you read it, you see such confidence and such uh, faith, and you wonder, well, is this guy like us? When you hit this point, you say, you know what? He is flesh and blood just like us. Because he says what? He says, I would have lost heart. I would have given up. I would have given up. You ever wanted to give up? You ever been there? Wanted to quit? Wanted to throw in the towel? Uh, you want to walk away? I mean, I'll be the first here today to put my hand up and testify, yes, I've wanted to quit. I've wanted to walk away. I've wanted to give up. Uh, in my earlier days, especially of ministry, 
I struggled mightily with um, discouragement, uh, depression, melancholy. Um, it's no secret. I, I don't keep it a secret. My life first is Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And I, I took that early on in my life. And, and God has used it in many, many ways in my life. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And it's been a help to me because there's been many times I wanted to faint and I wanted to quit and I wanted to walk away and I wanted to give up. And David says, listen, I, I would have lost heart. I would have given up. And if anybody, maybe if we could say had a right to want to give up, we could say, well, David, you know, David does certainly could be in the category to say, well, you have a right to give up. I mean, think about David's life for a moment. David was anointed as a young man to be king. As I studied this out, according to Charles Stanley's reckoning, David waited, now listen, he waited more than two decades, two decades before he took the throne. So he's anointed to be king, and he waits two decades, approximately. In other words, not years, but decades. That is 20 years or so from the time of his anointing to the time of his taking the throne. And in the beginning, things seem to be going really well for David. I mean, he's anointed to be king. He kills Goliath. Uh, he serves King Saul. It seems like everything's just, God is working everything out, and he was. But the truth of the matter is, he gets his best buddy, Jonathan. You remember his story? And things are clicking along, and then all of a sudden things begin to go south. And now he finds himself on the run from King Saul, waiting on God to deliver him and to help him and to protect him because Saul has just gone off the deep end. And Saul wants rid of David. So the question is, why didn't God have David anointed and then immediately take Saul out of the picture and put David on the throne? Why, why didn't that happen? Well, first of all, because that was not God's plan. And second of all, because David was not ready. David was not ready. You see, all the time in between David the shepherd boy to David the king was preparation time. And David was being molded and made into the man who would rule and reign to become a man after God's own heart. And beloved, like it or not, growth, maturity, development takes T-I-M-E. It takes time. That's true in life, it's true physically, and it's also true spiritually. I love what Rick Warren has said. It's a well-known saying of his. When God wants to make a mushroom, he takes six hours. But when God wants to make an oak tree, he takes 60 years. And he says these words, do you want to be a mushroom or an oak tree? <laughs> and that's just the truth of the matter. We're going to be a mushroom or an oak tree. Because if we want to be an oak tree, a solid, like that tree planted by the rivers of water the psalm talks about, then we're going to have to wait. It's going to take time for us to mature and grow. And God is at work. And so the time that God took from taking David from the sheepfold to the throne room was not wasted time. It was important. It was development. It was growth. It was maturity. And so don't think, beloved, in your own life, just because it seems like nothing is happening, don't think that God is not at work. Because God is at work. Uh, there's a song you may have heard it on Christian radio uh, by Hilary Scott. I love the words of it. It's a song called Still. And she says, I believe that you are God alone, but sometimes I still try to take control because I get scared when I can't see the end. And all you want from me is just to let go. 
And then she says, the chorus goes, you're parting waters, making a way for me. You're moving mountains that I don't even see. You've answered my prayer before I even speak. All you need for me to be still is to be still. And so sometimes we pray, we wait on the Lord, we, and we wonder, God, are you hearing me? Are you doing anything? Are you working? But that's the time we need to be still and allow God to work in ways we can't even imagine, we don't even know about. God is at work while we're waiting, while we're trusting, and yes, even while we are struggling. Now, I know that that's good preaching and hard living. <laughs> uh, wait on God is something we might say amen to in the pew, but it's hard to live out in our lives. Even knowing that God has our best in mind, we still don't like to wait, do we? I mean, that's just true in life. I have not met many people that say, well, what do you enjoy in life? What are some of your hobbies? Well, I enjoy waiting. I just love to wait. I love it when I go to the doctor and I sit in the lobby for three hours. I just, I just love that. I, just, I love to get stuck in traffic and just, I just love to wait. I love to get in the longest checkout line. Even when I'm looking and thinking, okay, this line's going to go fast. And that person's still writing a check after all these years and they don't have cash or a debit card. And I, I just love, I love when I order stuff and it gets lost in the mail and I just wait. And, and I love when I pray and I just keep on praying. And it seems that God just never responds to my prayers and I just keep waiting. I don't think I've ever talked to anybody who says my, one of my favorite things to do in life is wait. I mean, have y'all ever met anybody like that? In fact, if we met that person, we wouldn't be friends with that person anymore. Like that person, what is wrong with that person? We don't want to wait. We want things in a hurry. We want the express lane to spiritual maturity, but guess what? There isn't one. Part of the maturing process that God uses is waiting. So here's the question. How do we wait well? How do we wait well? Um, how do we not give up and quit? How do we keep going in these days? Well, I think these two verses here that we've read this morning in this psalm, it helps us and it teaches us some things that will help us to wait well. Look at those verses again. David says, I would have lost heart, I would have given up, unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now listen, you're going to want to write these lessons down. And keep a hold of them because you're going to wait. You might be waiting right now. Uh, odds are there are several in here, if not many in here, and those watching next door, and you're waiting on God in some regard. And you may have been waiting for a long time. You may have just started waiting. You may have been waiting for years. You say, well, how do I wait well? How do I not grow weary in well-doing? How do I not give up? Well, there are some lessons here, and write these down. Think about these. First lesson I want you to get today from these verses is this. When you want to quit... When you want to quit, remember God's promises. When you want to quit, remember God's promises. Now, you notice in that verse, it says, David said, I would have lost heart. In other words, I would have quit. But notice the next word, unless. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. In other words, he didn't quit. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. He didn't walk away. Instead, he exercised faith. He believed. I would have lost her unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In other words, God had made some promises to David. And David was doing, the song had not been written yet, but David was standing on the promises of God. 
and he remembered the promises of God. And it didn't look like it at the moment in David's life. But remember, we walk how? We walk by faith and not by sight. If you walk by sight, you're going to grow weary, discouraged, and give up and just go away. But we walk by faith. And he believed that God was going to deliver him in the land of the living, he says. In other words, he believed that God was going to spare his life, deliver him from his enemies, and preserve him, and do everything that God had promised to David that he was going to do. He had hope and faith in God. He knew that God's word was true. And yet he struggled at times. We've already studied in the psalm so far. We've seen in the previous verses how he struggled. But he ends the psalm on a victorious note. He ends on a high note. He believed. And when you are ready to quit, when you're ready to throw in the towel, when you're ready to walk away, you need to remember and rehearse God's promises to you. But I know what you might be thinking. Well, which promises? What promises are you talking about? Well, let me just give you a few. You can jot these references down. When you think about the promises of God. So maybe you're in a situation right now in your life. You're waiting on God. You're struggling. You're having a hard time. And so maybe these promises will encourage you. How about Hebrews 13.5? Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be, with, be content with such things as you have. And then notice what it says. For he himself has said, here's a promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So maybe you're struggling in financial areas. You're struggling with whatever it might be in the, that realm. And so you come to this verse that says, don't be covetous, don't do that. Be content and remember this promise. He, has self, he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You have God's presence in your life. It may not seem like it at the moment, but he says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Uh, how about this? Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, God's not done with you. God is still working in your life. He's not done. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. You're a work in progress. You're under construction, if you will. And so you remember, okay, God has promised He's going to complete the work. He's going to finish the work He's doing in my life. What about this, Psalm 37.4? I've mentioned this one earlier in our study. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. We talked about the fact we can get our delight right so our desires will be right. But that's a promise from God Almighty. Delight yourself also in the Lord, He shall give you the desires of your heart. How about this? You're really struggling. You're waiting on God. And He says to you in Isaiah 41, verse 10, a precious verse. You want to jot this reference down for sure. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. A promise from Almighty God. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to uphold you. Precious promises from God's Word. And these are just a few of the precious promises in God's Word. Are you filling your heart and your mind and your notebook with the promises from God's Word? You need to start reading the Bible and looking for those promises that God has given us in His Word. Let's go back to my life first. It's a promise I hold on to. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing. That would include praying and waiting on God. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, when the time is right, we shall reap. If we faint not. There's a condition on that one. But you think, well, I'm tired of waiting on God. I want to give up. I want to quit. 
Well, that's when you've got to bring those precious promises and remind yourself of them and hold on to them and stand on them as we talk about and as we sing. And preach to yourself and speak to yourself and remind yourself and rehearse them and read them again and read them again and read them again. In other words, I dare not quit now. It could be today. It could be this week. But regardless of how long it's going to take, what God has for you, beloved, is worth waiting for. You'll never regret waiting on God. But you will regret running ahead of God. We can go to the Scripture. We can illustrate that point quite well. You might can illustrate it in your own life. In other words, you said, you know, I'm, I prayed about this God. I'm going to take matters in my own hands. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. You'll never regret waiting on God, but you will regret, regret taking matters into your own hands. So when you want to quit, maybe you're there today. I want to quit. Remember God's promises. David said, I would have lost heart. I would have quit unless I had believed. In other words, I believe that God is going to do what God said He's going to do. I believe. I'm going to exercise faith in this matter. Second lesson. Second important lesson from this lesson, from these verses. You ready? When you're tired of waiting... When you're tired of waiting, focus on God's goodness. When you're tired of waiting, focus on God's goodness. Now, we're in that same verse, verse 13 again. David says, I would have lost heart. I would have given up unless I had believed. Now, notice what he talks about he's going to believe. That I would see, notice this, the goodness of the Lord in that land of the living. When you're tired of waiting, focus on God's goodness. Now, in the midst of waiting, we often focus on whatever it is we're waiting for. In other words, it might be a job, and so we're really focused on I'm waiting on a job or a boyfriend or girlfriend or money or a college acceptance letter or a clean bill of health or a car or a house or a, a financial blessing or for my child to do this or for God to answer this prayer, for God to work out a situation. And we often focus on that thing that we're waiting for. But if someone taught me, and I'm so grateful, we need to stop doing that. In other words, if we focus on whatever it is that we're waiting on, it can bring about despair and discouragement. I mean, if you're waiting on a job and you're waiting on a job and nobody calls or you get the interview and it doesn't go well or they never call you back or... Somebody else gets the job. You can get despairing and discouraged. Instead of focusing on whatever it is you're waiting on, you need to focus on God instead. Because in truth, beloved, He's the one you're really waiting for. It's not so much the job or the spouse or the money or whatever it is. It's not so much that you're waiting on as it is God to work in your life and bring about whatever it is that you're waiting on. In other words, the focus needs to change from the item or the person uh, or whatever it is you're waiting on to God Himself. And when you put your focus on the goodness of God while you're waiting, it will make it so much easier and so much pleasant. And David understood that. He says, unless I believed, I'd see the goodness of God. You know, David's all about the Lord. Remember verse 4? One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. And, and David said here, listen, in our verse today, verse 13, he says, I believe I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. And then in verse 14, so we're focusing not on whatever it is I'm waiting on, 
Not, if it's a job, not, just, not focusing on the job, I'm focusing on God. Because God is the one that's going to open the door and bring the job. I'm focusing on God. And then David, he gives some of the greatest counsel ever given in verse 14. He says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now, the truth of the matter is you might not like that verse. Because it tells us to wait, not just one time, but two times. In other words, it's bookended. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. But this is one of the keys. It's a key verse for Christian living. Now, I hope you know that waiting on God is not a passive thing. Uh, In other words, we don't just check out on life. We don't just go to the monastery and sit in silence and say, in our, in our, because we're silent, we can't say it out loud, but just in our, our being, I'm waiting on God. I'm just going to sit here in this monastery, I'm just waiting on God. No. In the midst of waiting on God, we live life. We serve God. We serve others. We do what God has told us to do. We go where God tells us to go. We trust Him to work in His time and His way. We don't just give up on life. We live life, but in the midst of living life and trusting God and serving God and serving others and caring for our families and going to work and going to school, doing all these things, in the midst of all of that, we're waiting on God. We're waiting on God to work. Waiting on God's timing, God's direction. And, and waiting on God, you know, has the idea, as one pointed out, it's, it's being patient, but it's also being expectant. In other words... We wait patiently for God to work, but we're also excited about what God is going to do when He does move and we finally see what He's doing. You know, He's at work anyway. We actually get to see the result of what God is doing in our life. We're being patient, but we're also being expectant. It's interesting that here in verse 14, David did, didn't just say, wait on God, amen. Did you notice that? And he didn't just say, wait on God twice, Amen. He says something in between to talk about the bookend. Look at verse 14 again. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. He says, be of good courage. Take courage. In other words, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. He reminds us here that God is, God is the one who's going to strengthen our heart because we grow faint of heart. We grow weary. We want to give up. In fact, it's interesting. Did you notice that he speaks of losing heart in verse 13? And then he talks about God strengthening his heart in verse 14. Did you notice that? Um, He assures us that God will strengthen his heart. He says, I would have lost heart. And then verse 14, he shall strengthen your heart. And that's what some of you all need this morning you need God to strengthen your heart. And so the question I got thinking about that is how is God going to do that? You know, it reminded me of some verses. Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Psalm 31, 24. Be of good courage and He shall do what? He shall strengthen your heart. All you who hope in the Lord. I got to thinking, how does God strengthen our heart? How does He do that? How does He bring about courage and strength when we're struggling? Well, I thought about what He's already said in verse 13. David said, I would have given up, I would have lost heart unless 
I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. In other words, again, as we focus on God, as we focus on the Lord and His goodness and who He is, how glorious He is, beholding the beauty of the Lord, when we focus on the Lord, He begins to strengthen our heart. And our focus is not on our problems and our struggles and troubles and trials and lack of wisdom and weakness and whatever it is I'm waiting on, but I'm looking at God. And as I look at God and as I behold the beauty of God and the glories of God and the goodness of God, the power of God and the wisdom of God and all that I, within my human reasoning, can muster and He can teach me at the time, as we begin to understand more about God, we're strengthened in heart and we are encouraged and we find courage. Just like when David went against Goliath, you know, he reminded himself what he said, well, you know, God brought a lion and I killed a lion and God brought a bear and I killed a bear. You know, this, who's this Philistine? I mean, I'm not coming in my own strength. I'm coming in the strength of the Lord and, and I've got courage. Now, everybody else is cowering back behind the King Saul even. But David says, you know, I come in the name of the Lord and he comes with a sling and some stones and he defeats the mighty Goliath. Why? Because he wasn't focused on Goliath. He was focused on God. If you focus on what you lack, you're going to grow weary and discouraged. It's important, beloved, to remember um, that as we get to know God better in our waiting, God is maturing us and God is growing us and God is helping us. We begin to understand more and more that what He has in mind is truly best. In fact, can I just remind you and, and never forget this, what He's going to do is worth waiting for. What God is going to do in your life is worth waiting for. It's worth waiting for. Now, there's one more important lesson I need to give you before we close up shop today. As I thought about David, I thought about this episode in his life and the tough time that he's going through. You know, we have the benefit of seeing the entirety of David's life. I mean, we can look back and we see all the stories we forget David was living this out in real time. <laughs> he didn't have a copy of the script that we have. He was living out day by day. By the way, you and I are living out our life day by day. One day others will look back on our life and say, well, they were born here and died here. And here's what happened in between. But you and I are writing that script, if you will, right now with our lives. I realized as I thought about David as we talked about waiting on God, we forget something very, 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 very important. And it's this truth, beloved. Our life is just a small part of a much bigger story. Our life is just a small part of a much bigger story. There's no way in the world, no way in the world that God was going to allow anybody, King Saul or anybody, to kill David. There's no way in the world God was going to allow anybody to prevent David from taking the throne. Do you know why? Well, because David's life was just a small part of a much bigger story. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Here's what I mean. Jesus is the son of David, born in the city of David, Bethlehem, who will rule forever on the throne of David. It's important for us to remember as we study David's life that it's not just this one little neat area here, but David's life is part of a much bigger story. 
Jesus is the son of David, born in the city of David, who will rule in the throne of David forever. God made this promise to David. I gave you the reference there if you want to jot it down. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 to 13. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom He shall build a house for my name. Of course, we know that the next one was Solomon, and Solomon built the temple. But notice what it says, or listen to what it says in 2 Samuel 7, verse 13. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then you look and say, well, wait a minute, though. Didn't didn't things kind of go bad? And then after Solomon, Rehoboam, and Jeroboam, and the kingdom split, and now, you know, who's on there now? Well, beloved, Jesus is going to rule and reign forever on the throne of David. David's life was so much bigger than just the moment, than just the sheepfold or the throne room. It was part of the greatest story, the story of redemption, the story of Jesus. And not only that, not only was David's life just a small part of a much bigger story, I want you to look now how David's story and David's life is intersected with our story. We have a psalm that we've been spending the last several weeks on, Psalm 27, among many other psalms that David wrote. And because David went through this time of waiting and trial and trouble, because God used him and recorded the thoughts and wrote this down, here we are all these years later being encouraged and challenged and helped as we have our own struggles and our own battles and as we ourselves wait upon God. And now we can look back on David's life and read what David said, and it helps us. And can I just remind you, Christian, that your life is just a small part. My life is just a small part of a much bigger story. And God has a place and a plan and a part for you to play in the midst of his story. And we get in a hurry. And we only focus upon the now and what we're going through. And we get very self-centered. And that's one of the reasons we struggle so. We need to become more kingdom-minded. And realize that we're to seek first the kingdom of God. We sang it earlier. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And everything we do is to bring glory to Him. And we're ambassadors of Christ. And we're to point others to Jesus. And if we get our eyes off ourselves and what we're doing and what we want and how we're struggling and begin to put our eyes on God and we're focusing on God, we begin to realize the glory. We begin to think about the plan, what He's doing in life. And then we begin to say, okay, I now have a part in this story. It's a small part, but it's an important part. And, and here I am in my area of influence my community, my realm. And God wants to use, just like He used David in His time, God has put you where you are with the people that you're with on a daily basis. And God wants to use you to influence others for Him. And He's not in a hurry. We're in a hurry. But He's working things out according to His timetable. And so we wait on Him. Now when I first started studying this psalm and I just started observing it and writing notes and looking up the word meanings and those sorts of things, I noticed something 
that I want to point out in closing. I notice that this psalm begins and ends the same way. It begins with the Lord and it ends with the Lord, literally. And I want to finish this series the same way. Psalm 27, verse 1, is the beginning. The Lord. The last word of verse 14 is the Lord. Let me just read those two verses and listen to them together. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Amen. Would you bow in prayer with me? And Lord, we do wait on you. We are reminded today that our story is a small part of a bigger story, your story. Lord, we just want to say thank you for allowing us a role to play, to have a part. And you have strategically and providentially placed us where we are today. We're here because you put us here. We're living at this time, in this nation, in this state, in this community, in the family we're in. You did all of that. You're the one who put us here. You have a purpose and a plan for our life. Lord, help us to get our eyes off ourselves, put our eyes on you, and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us moment by moment to fulfill your plan in this part that you placed us in. Father, I pray that if somebody here today does not know you as Lord and Savior, you put them here this morning. Your Holy Spirit, I pray, will work on their heart and turn their heart to you. They would leave their sin and put their faith in Christ alone. And then for my brother or sister who may be especially struggling today, waiting on you, trusting you, hoping in you, praying to you, crying to you, asking you to work. Father, I pray that you would encourage their heart today. Let them know that they're not waiting in vain, that you're not silent to their prayers and their cries, but as they truly wait and hope, you're working. Help them not to grow weary in well-doing, but know that in due season they shall reap if they faint not. Help us to wait well, Lord. Help us to love you, to serve you, and to trust you. Thank you for David. Thank you for painting this picture, warts and all. It's an encouragement to us. Thank you that his story reminds us that even when you fail miserably, you can still have a heart for God. And be used for God. So help us, Lord, to wait on the Lord, to be of good courage and have you strengthen our heart, to wait on you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. We're going to sing in closing this morning, and if you do have a need, um, we would encourage you to continue praying there. And I will be up here on the platform afterwards, and if I can pray with you or help you in some way, I'd love to do that. We're going to sing in closing that uh, uh, song, Trust and Obey. And so if you'll stand together, we'll lift our voices as we close out the service today. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with